Thank you so much for visiting us online today. We believe God wants to speak to you through the following message. If you would like to connect with us or send us your prayer requests, visit us at kingsgatehobs.com. Our perfect example. Somebody say with me, Jesus is my perfect example. That's right. Say it again. Say, Jesus is my perfect example. He is. He is. Now, today's message is why we want to be like Jesus. Like, what's the big deal? Why would we want to be like Jesus? I'm just going to give you a few points of the many thousands of reasons we want to be like Jesus. All right? Why we want to be like Him. I know there's lots of role models now on television, and there have been for years since the advent of television, since the advent of celebrity and we see people on magazine covers, and we see what they're doing. This is for men and women. We see how they're living their lives. We see the things they're tweeting, the things they're doing on Facebook. And I'm going to tell you right now, a lot of the stuff you see out there is a bunch of bull. Are you still with me? I don't know who I'm talking to this morning. I have no idea, but I know God is speaking to somebody through me this morning. And a lot of what you see out there on the news and in and, and celebrity lives and in movies and on Facebook and, and Twitter and Instagram and whatever else, Snapchat, I don't know what other things are out there, people aren't real. Now, there's a lot of real people out there on social media, and they love God, and they're putting out the Word, and they're men and women of God, or maybe you're sharing the Word out there, and you're real. But there's a lot of foolishness and a lot of baloney out there. Are you with me? Baloney. And they want to pretend to be our examples and their lives are falling apart and they can't love their husbands and they can't love their wives and they're fake and they're not real and the way they look isn't even real. They're not happy with their bodies even. I mean, sharp-looking people that they've seen themselves on camera so much that now they're doing surgeries every other week. I'm exaggerating. But you can see people changing, huh? You see them in a movie and you're like, they look different than they used to. They're not satisfied with life. They're miserable. And I do not believe that Jesus is their example right now at all. Because they don't love themselves. Many of them do not love God. And they're putting out a false, a false view, a false worldview of what things should be like or how you should live or how you should act. I don't know who that's for today, but look, you know what? You make sure your business is taken care of with God and you seek Him and you look at Jesus as the author and finisher of your faith. He's all that matters. And after Jesus, then it's your family, okay? Your wife, your husband, but Jesus is all that matters. In the grand scheme of things, in the scope of all eternity, we've talked about this, pushing life out into eternity and saying, is this going to matter in five years? Is this going to matter in ten years? Is this going to matter in a thousand years or a million years? Well, what's going to matter is your relationship with Jesus and how you treated people. So did you love God and did you love others like Jesus? He's an amazing and a powerful example to follow, okay? So check this out today. Stay with me. Buckle in. I pray that God speaks to you today. Why we want to be like Jesus. Number one today, this has been something that really hit me in studying the life of Jesus. He always moved toward the problem. Have you noticed that? He always moved toward problems. If there's, there's someone causing a scene, acting up, vomiting, a demon in them, he'd walk up and deal with it. Master, we can't deal with them. Oh, Master, uh, would you pray for my son? He, the, he throws himself into the fire. He tries to kill himself, tries to drown himself. Master, and Jesus would walk toward the problem. I think we as humans, many times, not everybody, 
People are different. I understand that. But we've all had times where we've run from the problem. Run from the problem. In our marriage, in our personal life. This is crazy. That I, This is my first point, and I had an object lesson this morning. I get to church sometimes. Many times I'm here at 7.30, 7.40 in the morning on Sunday mornings. And when I get here, it never fails that a couple times, maybe two, three times a year, somebody stumbles in here before service on Sunday morning, and they're running from something. Maybe they've had a bad high. Maybe they had a bad night. There was a guy that literally ran in here. He was running for his life. He was terrorized. He didn't even know what he was running from. I had married him and his wife several years back. I don't remember what year, maybe 2013, I don't know. They're divorced now, and he's talking to me, and I just told him, look, all this talk is fine, and I know you have a love for God, but it's time to really love God and do something now. Basically, because he was telling me some of the similar things years ago, because he has a church background in history. And this guy was running. And I said, you know what? If you're struggling, you need to make sure that you're running to God. Because you can't run away from these problems forever. You just can't. They're going to catch up without God. They're just going to catch up. And the beauty of Jesus was he was always moving toward the problem. Demon-possessed people. Some of you are going to think it's crazy, but it's in Scripture. And I've cast out a few demons that were manifesting, and it was crazy. And some folks are like, man, I don't even want to deal with that. It'll, it'll make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. But Jesus went and dealt with stuff over and over again. He went to people struggling with demons. He, he tracked down situations and walked toward them. Did you know he wasn't afraid of illnesses? There have been men of God over the years that said, had I known how serious their illness was, my faith would have been a lot weaker. But I prayed for them, and they got healed. But how many of you know that Jesus knew everything, and he was still marching toward it? Lepers, there was no cure for leprosy back then. There was no cure. There was no cure for the paralysis and different diseases they were suffering through back then. And some things we don't have a cure for today. But you know what? Jesus is the answer to every situation, every problem. And just like in his life that he walked toward every hard situation, we got to do it too. Now you've got to be wise about it. There's some things maybe you shouldn't be involved with, especially if it doesn't concern you. But if it's in your life and it's part of the problem that you're facing, you need to walk toward it and you need to deal with it. And somebody needs to hear me today. You need to walk toward that problem and deal with it. Don't run from it anymore. Don't run from it anymore, especially as a believer. I believe this house is predominantly full of believers in Jesus. Just about everybody, if not everybody. And Jesus moved toward the problem. He moved toward broken, needy people. He moved toward where all the trouble was. You know what's interesting to me, though? In moving toward the problem, Jesus was always moving toward a solution. In moving, I realized this the other day when I was preparing for this. In moving toward the problem, Jesus was always moving toward a solution. He already had the answer. Now, you may not know it, but the answer lives in you. You may forget sometimes, but you have the, pro, you have the, the answer to life's problems in you. And that's Jesus. Let's go to Luke 9.51. Kind of an interesting example here, but Luke 9.51 Look at this. As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. That's it. What does that mean? And you're going, well, I don't get it. Is he facing a problem? Yeah, a lot of Jesus' problems were in Jerusalem. He was going to be crucified. Is that a problem? Well, it was God righting man's wrongs 
But man, he was still all God and he was still all man. So he was headed to Jerusalem to die, to be tortured and die. And he knew he was going to carry the weight of the world, the sin of the world. And he, he knew as the time drew near for him to go to heaven, he knew he was going to have to go through some problems to get there. So he faced Jerusalem. One, one scripture says, one translation says he set his face toward Jerusalem. He set out toward Jerusalem. He moved toward what could be a series of problems. And he knew it. You know what was in Jerusalem? He'd found that the temple was in disorder. Remember, he'd cast people out of the temple. He found that Jerusalem was being oppressed by the Romans, and the Jews were crazy, and they didn't recognize, not all of them recognized the season of, G of God's, uh, God's return to earth. They didn't recognize the coming of the Messiah. There were all kinds of problems going. There was lots of sick. There were Pharisees that hated him and wanted to trap him, and their plan was to trap him and capture him and kill him in Jerusalem, and he knew it. He knew his trial awaited him in Jerusalem. He also knew the Garden of Gethsemane awaited him in Jerusalem where he was going to have to give it all away. He already knew. He already knew. But he moved toward the problem. He was also moving toward a solution. So don't run from your problems. There's some things you just got to turn around and deal with now. There's some things that are way less of a problem than you think. You just haven't faced them properly. You haven't talked about them. You haven't dealt with them. You haven't walked up to them. Maybe, maybe you got a child that you haven't seen in years. Maybe you got a parent you haven't seen in years, and you think, man, they're going to hate me. They're not going to talk to me. And it may not go that great. But you know what? Over and over again, I've seen people that were putting something off, putting something off, and all they had to say was, you know what? I wish I'd have done this sooner. I wish I would have done this sooner. Don't wait. Don't wait to tell somebody you love them when they've already crossed over and gone to heaven. If that's already happened, hey, God is, God is working in you and there's no guilt, no worries about that. But I'm telling you, if there's somebody in your life you need to make amends with, man, I don't know who this is for this morning. Move toward the problem. If they're impossible to talk to, then give them to God. But if you think they'll even be partially reasonable, you need to move toward them. Move toward the situation and deal with it. Somebody say, I'm going to deal with it. Yeah, don't run from it. Don't run from it anymore. I love this point, too. It's so simple, so simple. Jesus loved everybody. He loved everybody, man. You say, man, what about the Pharisees? Did he love them? He was always sticking it to them. He was always telling them stuff. No, because he loved them so much, he was telling them of the error of their ways constantly. They'd come out and try to trap him. He'd turn it around on them. And he'd deal with them, and he'd deal with their hearts, and they hated it. They hated that God was trying to deal with their hearts. That's a true sign of a hard heart when someone says, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear the truth. And the more of a sign of a hard heart is, if I heard the truth, I wouldn't recognize it. My truth is my truth, and that's a big lie. Society's been telling us that for a while. Oh, if it feels good, do it. No, what's true for you is true for you. But I got truth, and then you got truth, and then our truth is canceling each other out. That's why you got to go to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And he loved everybody and he told them the truth. You don't have to be hurtful with the truth. You can be loving with the truth. He not only loved everybody, he showed them. Somebody say he showed them. Uh-huh, and he showed us. Let's go to John 15, 9. John 15, 9. We're going to read through several verses here. He's, he's speaking to his disciples. He says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. Somebody say remain. Uh-huh, that means every day. If you remain somewhere, you stay there constantly. You do not leave that mindset. You do not leave that state of mind. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, he's saying, just as I obey my Father's, what? Commandments. And remain in His love. 
I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Remain in his love so that you'll, you'll be in his joy. That's powerful. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way. Wow, that's a tall order, isn't it? Love each other in the same way I have loved you. Wow. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. Jesus loved folks, people nobody cared for, the unlovable, the blind, the cripple, the lepers. Did you know back in the day, in the Old Testament, moving into the New Testament, according to the old Hebrew law, the old Jewish law that God had given them, those that were lepers had to shout, unclean, when others were near them. Unclean! They were dirty and filthy and not cared for, and their skin was falling off, and they were contagious, I assume. That's why they had to be separate. That's terrible. A woman with an issue in her body, a woman with the issue of blood, she was considered unclean. And some of you are going, what? Yeah. Did you know certain people weren't allowed even into the sanctuary? Cripples weren't allowed into the sanctuary? People with body defects? They weren't even allowed into the sanctuary. But Jesus came to change all that. You know what the purpose of the law was? I don't know if you realize this. I've said it before, but I, we need to reiterate this. The purpose of the Old Testament and the law and the Ten Commandments was to point everybody to Jesus and say, you need a Savior. Without Jesus, you can't do this. Without Jesus, you can't live. He loves you. He loved everybody. Now you've got to love Him back. You've got to be like Jesus and love everybody, man. We are, we're always very concerned about, man, God loves me, or did they love me? But are you loving people? Are you walking in love? And it's not always easy, huh? People are irritating, some more than others. I know I'm a, I'm a good, decent man, but I, I, I know I can be irritating. I have a wonderful relationship with my wife, but I know sometimes I can be irritating. I can be a little too much. I can be. I'm a little overbearing. I'm a little much. My sense of personal space is a little odd sometimes. I'm all right here. Hey, baby. <laughs> Give me a second, right? Give me a moment. And it's crazy how God pairs us in many ways with opposites in certain areas, right? But we're balanced that way. And you've got to learn to walk in love. You've got to learn to walk in love. My wife loves me despite my defects and despite my idiosyncrasies and quirks. And I love my wonderful wife. We've chosen to love each other. We love each other and we feel the love for each other. But you know what? You've got to practice it. You've got to practice it. Jesus practices love every day. Look at what he says here. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus laid down. He considered us a friend. And you're like, man, I, did, I, I don't even remember. I, I didn't meet Jesus. Uh-huh. You're his creation. He looked down the quarters of time and said, I'm going to die for them. You know what a true friend is? It's someone that will do just about anything for you, legal or moral. They will get in the way of a bullet. They'll stop a train for you. That's a friend. Because we hear people say, oh, I got lots of friends. I don't think I do. I have lots of people I love, lots of people I think that love me back. I have lots of acquaintances. But there's those few people that would do just anything for you. They love you. And that's what Jesus has called us to walk in love like he did. Look, he said, there's no greater love than to lay down, down one's life for one's friends. Wow, he laid down his life for his disciples and for us. Look at the perfect picture of love there. Beautiful. Somebody say, I'm going to walk like Jesus. And that's in love. Yeah, somebody say, I'm going to walk in love. Mm -hmm. Look at this one. I like this point. Jesus resisted temptation completely. 
completely. Scripture says he was tempted in all points, but he never sinned. One translation says he knew no sin. And us, we know sin, huh? We've been there. We've done that. We say, man, we've been around the block. We've messed up. We've, we've struggled with sin in different areas. He resisted temptation completely. You know, when he was out in the wilderness, he was tempted in three major areas of life. Stay with me here. He was tempted in three major areas. I'm not going to read you the whole story. But he was tempted with the lust of the flesh. What is that? What is the lust of the flesh? Well, the lust of the flesh, I'm glad you asked, right? Is doing something just because it feels good or satisfies the flesh. Any kind of carnal or sinful desire. That's the lust of the flesh. It doesn't have to just be sexual. It can be anything. Anything out of order. Just to, Man, I'm going to just do this. You say, man... Watching 10 hours of TV, yeah, that's probably the lust of the flesh. Watching 10 hours of TV straight, yeah, it probably is. Doing something just because it feels good and I want to do it and it satisfies my flesh, that is the lust of the flesh. Jesus was tempted there out in the wilderness with Satan. And he answered with Scripture. You remember that? And then another way he was tempted was the lust of the eyes. What is the lust of the eyes? That's wanting things we shouldn't want. Or looking at things we shouldn't and lingering on them. That's the lust of the eyes, and Jesus resisted there perfectly. You say, well, that can be lust, you know, physical lust, men and women, okay. It can be other stuff, too. I've seen people lust after vehicles. I kid you not. I had a guy talking to me about a vehicle one time, and it was in such odd terms that it was, it was borderline perverted. I'll never forget what he said to me. I was a senior in high school, and he was talking about a yellow Mustang. I won't tell you everything he said, but he basically was saying, man, doesn't this just turn you on? Isn't this amazing? I'm all... I had a red Grand Am, red Grand Am at the time. And I thought, it's a cool car, and we're paying for it, but no, no, it's not doing everything in me that it's doing for you. And I, So some people date and get married. Other people... Look at cars and lust over them, I guess. It was creepy. I'm not, I, I, can't, I can't even repeat all the things he was telling me. It was in a parking lot. He's like, man, look at this new, this 5.0. Remember when Mustangs came back out? I think it was 94. They reinvented the body style and came back out. And I was in high school, and yeah, and he's just explaining to me. Ugh. Lust of the eyes. Wanting things you shouldn't or looking at things we shouldn't. All right? Coveting things. How about this? The pride of life. Hang with me here. We've all been through all these. The pride of life. Somebody say the pride of life. Uh-huh. Here's what the pride of life is. Is wanting excessive greatness, credit, or power. I've seen people take credit for everything. They weren't even there when it happened. Presidents do that to each other. Did y'all know that? Right now there's a big joke about Trump and Obama, and then there was a joke before about Bush and Obama. They take credits for the good economy that's going right now. Say, man, I started this. I did this, right? And they do it. They boast. They all boast, and it ain't right, but they're all boastful about it. It's interesting. So the pride of life is, and I'm going to expand this definition here a moment, the pride of life is wanting excessive greatness, power, or credit. It can also just be pride itself. Nobody can tell you anything. Pride of life is, that's mine, I get mine. I have worked for this. Pride of life is someone saying, I am a self-made millionaire. I know what they mean. They didn't inherit the money. They weren't born into riches. But 
There's no self-made anything. Can you imagine? I was just born. I just got rich. I had no help. There was a rich man years ago. He said, I did all this by myself. And he went through a series of trials. And finally he said, wow, I couldn't have gotten here without everybody around me who helped me. He humbly said, my secretary, my business partners, the people who lent me money at first. We've all been helped by somebody, huh? Pride of life says I did this all on my own and I want all the credit, all the greatness, all the glory. And you know what scripture says? God will not share his glory with anyone. I'm careful to give God the praise, man. I know we've all struggled with pride. I know I have. Or we don't want to be told something or we're a know-it-all or we just got it all figured out. But I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus resisted temptation completely. We can resist. You don't have to give in to every thought that crosses your mind, do you? You do not. You don't have to give in to everything. So you can resist. Somebody said very unwisely one time, they said the only way to give in, to, to, to get past temptation is to give in to it. I think I showed it on my face. I went, oh, I feel scared for you and for me and for everybody. And the human race, that somebody would believe like that. Can you imagine? No. you got to walk away from temptation. Sometimes you just got to turn your head. Sometimes you got to walk away. you got to not be part of that. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Thank you for putting that up there. So we don't want any of that. Jesus, Jesus dealt with each, and he answered each with Scripture. I'm not going to get into all of it. But he answered each with scripture, and that's how you answer temptation, is with scripture. Okay? You answer temptation with the truth of God's word. Point four today, and I'm going to begin to wrap it up, is I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but Jesus overcame a controversial past. You're like, how? Well, think about it. He was born to a virgin. Do you think everybody believed that? No, because you and I would have been like, mm-hmm. Little sis, I know what you've been doing. <laughs> babies aren't just born that way. That was 2,000 years ago, and they knew very well how babies were born. And Scripture tells us, it's in the book of Isaiah. Is it Isaiah chapter 7? It said he will be born to a virgin. It's in Isaiah. It was prophesied hundreds of years before his birth. And Mary, it actually happened to her. She was a young girl, but the problem was she was engaged to a good man named Joseph. Joseph was just about ready to break off the engagement. See, back then, when you were betrothed or engaged, it was almost like being married. It's like you were practically married already. They were very, very, very serious about it. And so I know that his past was controversial because of some of these verses. Check this out. Look at John 8, 19. Look at this. <clears throat> He's having a discussion with the Pharisees, and look at, look at what they asked him. Where is your father? Huh. You ever thought of that? You should look at John chapter 8. This is very interesting. They're assaulting his godhood, his manhood, and where he came from. They're assaulting his identity, see, because they didn't believe he was God in the flesh. They didn't believe he was born of God and born of a virgin. They said, where is your father, they asked. Jesus answered, since you don't know who I am, you don't know who my father is. If you knew me, you would also know my father. Let's go to John 8, 38. I'm going to read through some of this. Look at this. They're, they're insulting him over and over again. I'm telling you what I saw when I was with my father, Jesus said. But you are following the advice of your father. He's talking about the devil, okay? He's really sticking it back to them. Can you imagine trying to argue with Jesus? We've all tried to argue with God before. It just doesn't work out real well. On our side. They said, look, our father is Abraham, they declared. No, Jesus replied, for if you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. 
Instead, you're trying to kill me because I told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. No, you are imitating your real father, he told them. I know who your father is. He said, if it walks like a duck, it quacks like a duck. It looks like a duck, it's a duck. You're acting like, you're acting like the devil who, who is your father. You were imitating your real father. They replied, we aren't illegitimate children. They're sticking it to him. Did you catch that? Basically, we know who our dad is. We're not illegitimate. They're mixing spirituality here, but they're attacking his humanity because they didn't believe he was born of a virgin. Look at what they said. God, what? We aren't illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. Now they took, he attacked them back and spoke the truth, turned the spotlight on them. They went from Abraham is our father to God is our father. All of a sudden, and they're acting like a bunch of devils. Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from who? From God. I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. Don't you think that came up? People going, hey, man, Joseph's not Jesus' real dad. That's going to get out, isn't it? Even if you told someone in confidence and they found out and said, man, man, he's born of a virgin. And Mary's like, I've never been with a man. And people are like, uh-huh, yeah, right. He's illegitimate. We know Joseph. Joseph's saying that's not his kid. But he, he kept her for some reason. But there he is because God told him in a dream, right? God told him in a dream, said, man, hold on to that woman. The child she has is of the Holy Spirit. This is ordained of me, God said. Do not, do not put her away or, I guess, divorce her. Don't break off the engagement. He had to overcome a controversial past. Guess what? So have you, huh? So have I. I've, I've done some less than savory things. I've done some things that hurt people. I've done some things that hurt myself and my family and my wife. I've done some things that were just dumb. So we've all got things. That's why it always bums me out. When people tell me this, oh man, you don't, you don't know about him or her. They've got a past. They've got a past. I was born in the past. I lived in the past and then struggled in the past. Didn't you? Didn't you have a past? Didn't everybody? Haven't all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? But Jesus was perfect and had to overcome a controversial past. What an example. Some of you are like, he shouldn't have even dealt with him. He should have just wiped everybody out. We'd be dying and going to hell today. If he would have given up, I want to go back and hit something real quick in wrapping up today. And I think it's very important. In resisting temptation, look at what Jesus did. In resisting temptation completely, he also resisted temptation in the garden. Do you remember that? He said, Lord, let this cup pass from me. He did not want to suffer and die. He knew what was coming up. It wasn't just going to be physical suffering. It was going to be emotional duress, spiritual. He was going to feel the weight of death. He was going to have to die. He was God in the flesh, but he was in a human's body with human feelings and emotions and pain sensitivities and sensitivities to rejection and different things. And here he was thousands of years after the original garden. You remember where our ancestors were in the Garden of Eden and they lost it all for us? Well, it came back to a garden, didn't it? It came all the way back full circle to a garden, and Jesus was in a garden where he could have lost. He could have lost in a garden thousands of years later, thousands of years after our father and mother failed for us. Some of you are like, yeah, but in real life, my mom and dad failed for me. Hmm. Today is your day to start walking after Jesus' example.
I can feel the presence of God in this house. He's speaking to you. Your past is your past. Jesus had to overcome stuff. But here he was in this garden, and he understood the weight of all time and history and mankind. And he says, oh, let this cup pass from me. I can't do this. Scripture says, and science proves that this can happen. He was bleeding through his sweat glands. The capillaries in, in his sweat glands were bursting, and he was literally sweating blood with the agony of what he had to face. And he said, I don't want to do this, but not my will. Yours, yours be done. Perfect will of God be done. And he overcame temptation to quit. And because he did that, we're here today. I'm here today. You're a miracle today. I'm a miracle today. I had to go back and, and touch on that. I know the Lord wanted me to do that, and I almost forgot. But it all started in a garden, and it all ended in a garden when Jesus overcame. You say, well, what about the cross, the finished work of the cross? Yeah, Jesus really won in that garden. Sometimes the place of your greatest temptation to quit or give in or do something that you shouldn't do, sometimes the place of your greatest temptation can also be the place of your greatest victory. Trouble's not just trouble, it's an opportunity. I learned that from somebody wiser than me. I don't know who, but somebody said it. Trouble's not just trouble. Situations aren't just situations. They are an opportunity for God to work great in your life. So the place of your worst and most powerful trial can be the place of your greatest victory. Right now, what you're going through, you say, man, Pastor Matt, you don't even know what we're going through. I may not, but this can be one of the places of your greatest victory right now, what you're going through. All right? Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes today.